This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. We're usually very, very accurate in getting off our show on time at 10 past 2. It's 11 minutes past 2. We do apologize that we're one minute late today, um, but it's great to be with you and wonderful to be in the studio here this afternoon talking to you as we always do on Judaism 101.9, sharing some thoughts, some ideas about the practicalities of Judaism and perhaps today to verge a little bit off our uh, usual path of uh, kind of being very down to earth and thinking perhaps, although I suppose it is also down to earth, about um, something a lot more sensitive. Let's talk about the sensitivities, sensitivities within Judaism and within Jewish practice. And um, what I mean by that, and perhaps um, we're going to ask you to SMS in if you can on 34519 and perhaps share with us some ideas on the positives of sensitivity. I don't want to hear um, negative stuff. I don't want to hear complaints um, necessarily unless you have something that is uh, really, really bugging you. But perhaps ideas of how you have felt and you have seen the absolute sensitivity of Torah, of Judaism, or of people um, who have behaved in a really, really sensitive fashion. You know, our lives are replete, I guess, with all sorts of interactions with other people, and some of them can be grossly insensitive, and some of them we just marvel at how sensitive people can be, and... (laughs) And I'd venture to say that Torah would like us to be, would like us to be really, really sensitive. Well, I kind of got to thinking about this because over the last while, um, a couple of uh, different incidents um, that have kind of been mentioned, whispered in my ear um, personally as a rabbi within a community and in my role in Chabad House and so on, um, simple things such as a man telling me that um, when he was sitting Shiva, he'll never forget how kind people were, but how there were some people who would arrive to visit the Shiva house at one o'clock, middle of the day, and kind of not take the hint when (laughs) the family would like to eat lunch, when they'd like to be together, when they'd like some privacy, and um, would stick around. And even if... um, you said, well, we're going to go to the uh, dinner table, to the lunch table. They would say, okay, and sort of tag along, come there and uh, wait to be offered something. Um, kind of insensitive, don't you think? Um, not allowing people their space in a time of difficulty. Or, um, similar vein, I guess, but person has experienced a loss, particularly of a loved one, of a spouse, particularly, and... Um, the tears that flow and the upset that there is where um, that wedding invitation, the bar mitzvah invitation or whatever it is, arrives and it says on it, number of people, one, and that's filled in. And you think about it, well, it was wonderful that they sent the invitation. It was wonderful that they visited the Shiva house. It was wonderful that the people were there. And of course it is. But perhaps going just a little bit beyond the scope maybe of Judaism 101.9 is to say, 
There is a, a right and a correct way to behave, and then there is something that perhaps needs to go a little bit beyond the letter of the law, a little bit above and beyond, and that at all times, even when we're doing the right thing, and even when we're doing our mitzvot, and even when we're behaving in the finest Jewish fashion, <coughs> we have to re- remember our sensitivity. We have to remember to be sensitive to the needs, the wants, and the lives of other people and um, their feelings, to really be sensitive to other people's feelings. Um, and we all know that there are some people who are legendary when it comes to being sensitive, and there's some people who are legendary when it comes to being insensitive. But um, what does the Torah really demand from us? What is Judaism's take on uh, whether or not we should be over-concerned um, about being sensitive to each other. Well, I'd like to kick off perhaps by um, giving you a couple of Torah examples. Let's use some of the most classic examples and some of them, of course, that you know well and that you've heard before. You remember the incident where um, God is in conversation with Abraham and Sarah, with Avram Avinu and Sarah Emenu, about the... Uh, future birth of their son, of uh, Yitzchak, who is going to come in a miraculous fashion uh, to be born to them. Um, Avram Avinu Abram is 99 years old. Sarah Menu is 90. It is something that is absolutely, seemingly, practically impossible. And yet, of course, we know that it happens, and uh, it's a miraculous event. And in relating the story We see how God teaches us sensitivity, sensitivity in how we converse, sensitivity in how we relate things. It is um, Sarah Imenu and Avram Avinu who um, both classically, we know, um, have a really astounding or an astounded kind of a reaction to um, God's request. It is Avram Avinu, Abram says, It would be enough. I don't need this great miracle. I've got a son. I've got... um, I've got Yishmael. He could live in your ways. He could be my future. He could be um, my um, heritage. That's fine by me, um, and I'm quite comfortable with that. And, of course, God has other plans, and God tells him that Yishmael is going to be great and wonderful and so on, father of many nations, however, or a great nation, rather, but however, um, it's going to be Yitzchak who's going to take over. Avram is skeptical. Sarah Emenu, we know, classically laughs. She chuckles at the thought. She says, it's impossible. Um, Adoni Zakein, she says, my master is old. Av- Avram Avinu is certainly old. He's 99 years old. But then so is Sarah. Sarah is 90. She's 90 years old. Um, and we think, well, okay, pretty interesting that she looked at it that way. Remember, she was in a private conversation with God Almighty and knew that anyway. But when Hashem relates that, he doesn't repeat the words. It could be insensitive. It could be insulting. It could actually cause trouble between husband and wife. Uh, remember that not everything needs to be repeated. You don't have to tell every detail of exactly what she said because there may have been a nuance of something that might have sat a little bit uncomfortably with Avram Avinu. And that part he doesn't say. He doesn't mention. Say sensitive not only to Sorrow, but sensitive to Avram and sensitive to the situation that you could perhaps be mentioning something that um, is incorrect, could cause trouble, could make somebody upset, 
could tread on somebody's toes. We have a similar idea, I suppose, um, in a different kind of a way, when we see that um, when Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moses is given a different kind of sensitivity, I guess, that we have to have, when Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moses is told to um, start with the plagues against Egypt. And where do they begin? They begin with the plagues that are performed on the River Nile. Uh, The first two plagues, of course, the blood and the frogs had to do with the River Nile. Uh, The Nile had to be the one that was taking the smack, that was getting the punishment in order to um, in order to uh, bring about an understanding for the e- Egyptian people that the first thing that was going to get clapped, that was going to get smacked, was their God. And yet, God says, Moshe Rabbeinu, you need to be sensitive. You need to be sensitive to the river that saved your life. You cannot bring this about. It has to be done through your brother, through Aaron. And in fact, that is the way that it's carried out. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elova. Well, I guess what we're talking about is um, all about sensitivity and how to be sensitive. And does the Torah command us? Does it want us to be and to take into account other people and the sensitivities that surround other people's feelings and so on? I think it's pretty obvious that the Torah does. We think about um, examples that we brought before about Moshe Rabbeinu not being the one to hit the river that saved his life, not to be the one who is going to punish the Nile, which, albeit that the Nile was um, a god in Egypt, that they worshipped it, that they looked at it as being the god that provided them with everything that they had, um, that was the way we understand that they looked at the Nile River. And yet when it was smitten with the plagues that God brought about on the River Nile, um, the blood and the frogs, Moshe Rabbeinu is um, told not to be the one who is going to bring that plague forth. How can you, Moshe, be so insensitive even to the river, even to the River Nile? Because it was the river, ultimately, that saved your life. How can you be so insensitive and uh, strike it? How can you be so insensitive and bring a plague upon Egypt, even if it is the River Nile? Um, there um, There are so many different examples that one could bring. But perhaps just to elaborate a little bit on where I'm really going with all of this is the idea, I guess, of empathy, of uh, being um, in a in a in a situation whereby you really and truly you really and truly put yourself into the shoes into the feelings into the atmosphere of the other person of another individual now this could be in many many different realms in many different ways i remember once being at a personal family simcha and um Somebody came over and um, wonderful, Mazel Tov and so on, really, really participating, but um, proceeded to kind of tell me how he thought that I should have done something a little bit better. And you think about it, um, how inappropriate for the moment it um, took your focus away from your simcha, it takes away your focus from where you really want to be, where you really should be, where you really need to be, and... um, Complete digression, complete um, um, taking away of the moment of your joy, of your simcha. Now, how sensitive um, do we have to be or do we not have to be at times like that? Yes, you see something that you think shouldn't have happened, shouldn't have been done and so on. But the sensitivity to say, well, you know what, I'll 
call him tomorrow. I'll speak to him afterwards. I'll let him know that I thought that uh, what he did was not correct, wasn't 100%. It wasn't right. It may have been um, completely inappropriate. However, was it appropriate to address it at that time? So the sensitivity of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, thinking about at that moment, how is that person feeling? What is, how is he going to react to what I'm saying, to what I'm doing at that time? And of course, um, the ideas, and we mentioned a couple there to do with um, death and dying and with um, shiver houses and so on. There is very, very sympathetic and very empathetic behavior that is dictated to us by Torah. Um, the a way that we behave in a house of mourning is quite clearly scripted in um, Jewish law and in Jewish thinking and Jewish custom and tradition. Um, you come to a house of mourning, you do not, um, according to Jewish thinking, engage the mourners in conversation. You do not sit down and eat or drink with them. You don't get into that kind of a space. In fact, you don't speak to them unless you're spoken to. In other words, what we're doing is while I've come all this way and while I might think that I have so much to offer and so much to share with uh, the mourners who are sitting there, we've got to remember uh, Torah is telling us that they are the mourners, that they are the ones who are going through the hardship, the difficulty, the loss, um, the sadness, and the grieving, and they are the ones who need to be given that space to do that. You need to send them a message that you're there for them. You need to be there. Yes, you need to walk in. You need to sit down. You need to show them that you're there. But to actually invade their space, no, that we're not Am entitled to do. Invading their space may detract them. It may be insensitive. At that very moment, they may be thinking about something um, along the lines of the grieving, of the loneliness, of the sadness that they're experiencing. We come in and um, think that it is our job to sidetrack them, to take their minds off it. And it's, there's nothing could be further from the truth in their mind at that moment. So the idea of the empathy is that we can't always know exactly what everybody else is thinking. We can't always know what they really want at that time. And it's probably better to just be there, do nothing, and allow them to call the shots, allow, allow them the space where uh, we can literally say that in a place like that, whether it is a house of mourning, whether it is a place of sadness, or Lahavdil, um, on the other end of the spectrum, a place of simcha, a place of joy, allow the Baal Simcha, or God forbid, the person who is the um, Ovil, the person who is in mourning, allow them to dictate the terms, allow them to take ownership of that space, allow them to be the ones who will um, call the shots literally on what is discussed and how it is discussed, about um, the uh, parameters that are going to be laid down there, the boundaries, the borders that are going to be set, allow them to dictate those terms. Be sensitive to the fact that that is something that they need to do at that time. And this is pretty clear from Jewish thinking, Jewish law, Jewish practice. Somebody mentions here, uh, got an SMS, it says, uh, what about the commandment to have a ramp to the Mizbeach so as not to reveal the legs of the cone? Though they wore it, um, it's not to reveal what they wore underneath. In other words, the fact that they didn't have anything underneath, and therefore the coin's legs <coughs> weren't to be revealed or anything that was underneath their tunic. Um, yes, of course, that is a very valid idea of Torah's sensitivity. But I was rather thinking about um, more being empathetic, about uh, a lot more of 
sensitivity that um, we need to show that goes above the letter of the law. I think that the idea of the ramp and not revealing, etc., was part of the law. And yes, it does show the law's uh, very sensitive um, feelings. But I think that perhaps what I'm getting at is where and when and how do we need to go above and beyond that sensitivity. Um, <clears throat> Let's think about the um, application or the idea that um, fellow raised with me and that we mentioned about saying an invitation. Well, you know, you could um, argue right from the outset that the very notion of, um, and I remember being certainly taught this uh, growing up, that um, it was regarded as not very nice to put on an invitation a number of people who are attending in the first place. Yes, today most invitations in locally go in, uh, what's it called, paperless post or uh, one of those um, methods of inviting people. And there possibly may be some sort of a mandatory, I'm not sure of this, a mandatory number that you've got to insert um, as a number of people attending. <clears throat> but we all kind of know what it feels like to get an invitation where you sort of feel that um, somebody has been excluded. So uh, you expected the invitation to be for uh, three or four members of your family and only two were invited. That number two kind of uh, sticks in your throat. It uh, sits there as a little bit of a, a jarring message. And that in itself may be insensitive and uh, so on. But what about when somebody has just experienced a loss? I remember... Many years ago, uh, the time of the loss of my late father, that um, my mother was most upset receiving a message, a wonderful message and a wonderful letter from a well-known um, Jewish organization. Um, and from this organization came the letter addressed to my late father and her. So it was addressed to the uh, rabbi and Mrs. Um, S. Katz. And there it was. Um, addressed on the outside of the envelope. On the inside of the envelope, the letter itself had um, my father's name scratched out. And the idea of the name being scratched out um, was most offensive. Very, very um, infradig, very incorrect kind of behavior. But then while trying to do something so good, you say, well, surely that should be forgiven. You know, the person sent the good wishes. They sent the Yom Tov message. They sent the uh, the kind words of encouragement. But um, to be that insensitive, um, to scratch out a name um, on a letter, um, rather rather inappropriate. And this perhaps is more where I'm going with all of this. To what extent does the Torah ask us to go beyond the letter of the law? If Moshe Rabbeinu was going to bring plagues on Egypt, of course they're plagues. Of course they're nasty. Of course they're horrible. Of course, they're terrible. And he was going to be part and parcel and party to the um, ten plagues, never mind the first two that were um, particularly designed to um, give a real lesson and a clap to the Nile and its godlike status. But he was told, hold back. This is something you should not deliver because we need to teach the sensitivity. Well, we can think um, to another example of Moshe Rabbeinu Moses. 
who um, is known as Moshe Rabbeinu. We know that Moshe Rabbeinu is known as Moshe Rabbeinu. This is most unusual, in fact, if we think about that most rabbis um, that are mentioned in the Talmud, in um, all sorts of Jewish literature, the name rabbi comes first. We speak about Rav Ashi. We talk about uh, Rabbeinu HaKadosh. We talk about uh, rabbi this and rabbi that and Rav so-and-so. What about Moshe? Moshe is not called Rabbi Moshe. He's called Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu. Well, that is a beautiful idea that tells us that, in fact, Moshe obviously had a name that was given to him when he was born. The name that he was given to him when he was born is a uh, subject of a wide and vast debate. Some say that his name was Tov. Some say that his name was Tuvia. There are many other different um, ideas as to what it was that Amram and Yochevet, his parents, actually named him when he was born. Because we know that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't practically, physically have a bris, but undoubtedly his parents gave him a name. They didn't wait for the two years um, and, until he entered into the uh, king's palace, until he became part of Pharaoh's palace because of Batya, who had found him in the river. Um, but Moshe decided to stick with the name Moshe. He made that conscious decision. Moshe would be his name. And why? Because he said, Hakaratatov, I need to show tremendous, tremendous gratitude to Batya for having saved me. The way that I will teach this to the future, to the Jewish people, to everybody always will be that I will stick with the name that she gave me to show Hakaratatov, to show Hakarasatov as it's known, to show the absolute um, commitment to um, showing gratitude. The gratitude that he owed to Batya was something that he wanted to spelt out. So therefore we say that Moshe is Rabbeinu. Moshe, the name Moshe, is Rabbeinu. That is our teacher. He teaches us something. He teaches us something significant. The idea of being sensitive, of being beyond the letter of the law. Of course he could have gone with the name that was given to him by his parents, but he wanted to keep the name Albeit that it was given to him by an Egyptian princess, albeit that its foundations were in Egypt, he wanted that name to stand as a sign of just how sensitive we have to be to other people's feelings. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So we've been talking about uh, the need or the um, requirement from a halachic, from a Torah, from a Jewish point of view, to be sensitive. Now, we can sometimes be super sensitive. People sometimes pick up things that uh, were completely unintended. Well, that is, uh, what do you call it, that uh, a Jewish occupational hazard. Um, the fact is that um, people are sensitive. Most people are sensitive, and they're sensitive in different ways and sensitive to different things. You know, you can be talking to a single group of people, and each one will pick up something different from what was said or what you said and uh, take it to heart in a slightly different way. Um, that's the beauty of people. People feel things in different ways. So it's not always that easy to be totally, totally in tune with everybody at the same time. But um, there are certain yardsticks and there are certain ways and means that we need to try and employ. And perhaps the first one is to really remember at all times that um, anything that you say and do um, in relation to other people is always going to be interpreted somehow by them. Um, and it may not always be in the way that you see. So in other words, try as much as possible in the very, very first 
notion, the very first point, try as much as possible to put yourself on the other side of what it is that you're saying or what it is that you're doing. How would you feel interpreting that? Now, remember that your feelings and their feelings may be completely different. But um, if you have any inkling of um, feeling for another person, you will be able to at least cut them a little bit of slack and say, well, let me broaden it a little bit. It may not just be what I would read back, but what would (coughs) any other person read back? What would somebody else read from my action? What would they read from what I'm doing? And if I can just pause for a moment before I do or say anything in relation to other people and just allow myself to process in my mind that one point we will have a huge amount of increased sensitivity to other people, a lot more empathy. You know, in the old days, um, they used to teach empathy to a child by holding up a card. And the card had on one side, well, they used to test empathy, I think it was rather, with a child by holding up a card, imagine, to a two-year-old or a three-year-old child who's uh, just learned colors. And you say to the child, the one side of the card is black, the other side is white. And you say to the child what do you see on your side and they say I see white and you say now flip the card what do you see now and they say I see black and you then hold the card between you and you say okay what do you see now and they say I see white and you say what do I see and a child who's got the beginnings of empathy should be able to say you see black it's a simple exercise but it is something that is of paramount importance in our interrelationship with other people And part of being Jewish, of course, is to ensure that our interrelationship with other people takes into account their feelings. Now, very often we are blinded. We're blinded by all sorts of other things. We're blinded by the very essence of Torah itself, I guess. We're blinded by our Judaism. We're blinded by, and I'm going to get to what I mean in a moment, we're blinded by perhaps... Um, organizations um, and uh, stuff that we do and that we know is the most noble and the most wonderful. And yet, by selling it at the wrong time, by pushing it at the wrong time, we may be being particularly insensitive, insensitive to the needs of the person uh, and the, um, the situation of the person upon whom we are foisting or thrusting this particular um, event or this particular happening or this particular way of thinking, um, we need to be sensitive to our uh, receivers. We need to be sensitive to the needs and uh, the wants of other people. It's not always easy, and I guess that uh, very often people in a public kind of a position, I suppose rabbis um, are in that realm, um, can be construed as being a little bit insensitive from time from time to time. But then remember, you're sometimes talking to a whole group of people. You're talking to a whole community. And, um, yes, there may be people for whom the particular Vort Drosche idea that you're sharing doesn't quite fit. But perhaps we need to just all be a little bit more sensitive. Back with you right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elova. Yes, as we go forward into this uh, week and uh, what remains of it, and we think about the coming week and the coming Shabbat and the week that lies ahead, perhaps we can all spend some time just focusing a little bit more on sensitivity, on being just a little bit more sensitive to those around us. Wouldn't it be fine, wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all follow in the footsteps of a Moshe Rabbeinu 
who uh, taught us about sensitivity, of God himself who taught us about the sensitivity when it came, com, comes to mentioning something that perhaps somebody shouldn't hear or perhaps should be kind of paraphrased, changed a little bit so as to protect them. Be sensitive to the fact that what you're saying is uh, going to perhaps cause them some pain, some anguish, some hurt. Perhaps to be sensitive to um, the things that we write and the things that we post and the things that we put up. You know, um, often said it, and I've said it here as well, I'm sure, um, that uh, people sometimes are insensitive just in the things that they post on Facebook. Um, well, of course, hugely sometimes, but think about the fact that you're at a particular simcha, you're at a particular wedding or a particular bar mitzvah or a particular birthday party. And you put up a picture of yourself or of somebody else um, at that particular party. And what are you actually saying? How happy I am to be there and how I, w I would like people um, to know that I'm there. And, of course, it's of paramount importance that everybody knows exactly where I am and what I'm doing um, because uh, that's going to make a world of difference to so many people. But be that as it may. What about the people who weren't invited? What about somebody who's sitting there and says, ah, I see in that picture that they even invited so-and-so and so-and-so that I can see, and I wasn't, and right away you have caused somebody some pain. You've caused somebody inadvertently. You've caused them just that moment, even if it is a moment, sometimes it's worse than that, of difficulty of suffering. Think before you post. Think before you put something on Facebook. Think before you send off that SMS, that message. Just think, be sensitive, pause, stop, and take some control and a little bit of empathy. Allow it to filter through and be a little bit more sensitive because ultimately that is what Judaism wants from you. And that's our message for today on Judaism 101.9. I hope um, that we have perhaps shared some thoughts with you that maybe will spark a little bit more sensitivity into our daily behavior and uh, functioning and of course um, I am not preaching to those who are already super sensitive and are very very careful with it um, remember sometimes we say things on a uh, public forum that is not always perfectly suited to each and every one of us I want to wish you a great week up ahead great Shabbat up ahead and look forward to being back with you same time same place next week on Judaism 101.9